I told him you can have it. And so I was in Romania and someone contacted me and told me that they think my van disappeared. Um, it was gone somewhere. And uh, so I, I was a little disappointed. <laughs> I was, and, but I figured I'd have to come, I'd come back and buy another vehicle. Uh, and one night, so my, a friend of mine, Steve King, some of you know him, he uh, went into Lancaster with another girl from the youth group and they were, they were looking for the van. And how do you find a van in Lancaster City? One specific van, you know. And so, wouldn't you know they spotted it at, at a gas station? And uh, they probably proceeded in not so Jesus-like of a way when they, he called someone else and, and they came and they parked the guy in. And uh, Steve, if you know Steve, you, you'd have, you would understand. He goes up to the guy, and this guy, who knows who he was? It was another guy. It wasn't the guy I gave the van to. It was completely someone else, right? And uh, Steve never met him, and this guy never met Steve. And Steve goes up to him and he's like, give me the keys, give me the keys. <laughs> and, and, uh, the, you know, this guy was a bit taken back, and, but he knew what the situation was. He knew he shouldn't have the van. Uh, and I got my van back. Anyway, um, that, that one ended well. I, or I, I, I guess I, I got my van back. That was nice. But, uh, you know, I still wonder, uh, how, how do you deal with such a difficult passage? Uh, and I think it's easy for us just to say it's not practical. You know, if you don't do that because it's not good stewardship. It's not. But, but Jesus, and last night we were talking about repentance and how that Jesus said we should repent. Why? Why did he say we should repent? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Exactly. John the Baptist said the very same thing. And uh, we've been talking about that there's uh, two different gospels or maybe gospel paradigms. And one is the, the gospel of salvation that focuses on... Uh, I, I, I'm not even sure how to explain it. But it's a gospel that we hear all the time. That see, It seems like the end goal is our happiness and our... Uh, uh, and, and getting to heaven when we die. Um, I was just thinking as I was sitting here about something in history, uh, a period in history in Rwanda, where Rwanda was a country that had been evangelized extensively. In fact, uh, Rwanda was sort of a model for Christian missions because it had been so successful. And they, they, had, they said like 90% of the population had become Christian. And so Christian missionaries or mission organizations held it up as a great model for mission. Things had really gone well there. When 1994, uh, some things went wrong. There was a plane crash, and I think the president's wife was killed or something like that, and, and it started uh, intertribal fighting. And by the time it was all said and done in this Christian nation that was held up as a success story, uh, for Christian missionaries, uh, there was, I think, 800,000 people that had been killed, and it was just a terrible, terrible uh, massacre. Just things just were, went genocide. Things went really uh, out of whack. Um, interesting. What kind of gospel was that? <laughs> what, what kind of gospel was, was successful there, you know? Uh, and, and I even think, I think of Christianity in America that uh, focuses so much on an experience 
of so much on an initial experience of getting saved, as we call it, that doesn't necessarily require a change of life. I mean, it's good. Of course, yeah, it should, right? I mean, it should, but the, the two are so disconnected, it seems. Um, I was, I think about, uh, I, th- I think they say that divorce rates in, in Christian churches and evangelical Christianity are higher than in normal society. And not just divorce rates. I mean, it's the morals of Christians are pretty much in the same level or worse than complete unbelievers. You wonder, what is this about? Why, why, why could this be? In fact, and I've, I read this study once. There was Christians that were doing a study saying, actually, it's not that way. It's not as bad. Because Christians who go to church regularly only have a 40% divorce rate. Uh, that's kind of shocking. They were, they were holding this up as better news. <laughs> 40% versus 60% or whatever it was. Uh, I was doing some research recently. Um, I've been studying a lot about, some about salvation from different perspectives, the, the kingdom perspective or Jesus' perspective or the Anabaptist perspective and, and the more um, Luther-type perspective or Protestant. And I was... I read how that uh, I found out that 40% of the uh, military are evangelical Christians. These are born again Christians that we uh, usually think we're pretty closely associated with. They're pretty close. We're kind of like them, right? We're we're more we're closer to them than the Catholics for sure. Um, but 40% of the military is is evangelical, and 20% is Catholic. Like 25% is non-religious. That's a little shocking to me. And, and I'm like, again, it's like, what, what kind of gospel is this? And so I'm, I think there's, and I've been saying this, I think there's two different gospels. There's more, I'm sure. You could say there's many more. But there's different gospels that I think we especially are influenced by. And the one is the, the gospel that says you get saved in your heart. And... Uh, That's what salvation really, that's what salvation is about. So anyway, uh, we talked about repentance means to think differently, to think afterwards, to reconsider, to change one's mind for the better. And why do we need repentance? Jesus said we need to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the kingdom of heaven, Jesus' laws are so different. Sometimes we think there's, the Old Testament had law, the New Testament has grace. Um, I... You know, if you really look at the commands in the New Testament, there's more in the New Testament than the Old Testament. Uh, there's, this, I think the, the, the Jews had 613 commands or laws. And the New Testament, they say there's almost twice that. I haven't counted them myself. You know, commands of the, for Christians. And so what is, you know, yeah, the, repent. Jesus has a lot of things. He said many things that that are difficult to swallow. And we need a new thinking pattern. We need to think differently to be able to, uh, to grasp those things. And we also talked about the new birth and how the new birth is, is just that. It's the birth. It's the entrance. It's the, the birth into life. The purpose isn't to go around telling the story of our birth. I and mean, maybe if you had a really interesting one, like we had, we thought once we were having one baby and two came out, 
Um, that's kind of an interesting birth story, and I expect that our, our, our twins will probably tell that story for a long time after they're, you know, when they're grown up. But unless your birth was really interesting for some reason, it's a little strange maybe to be talking about your birth all the time. Uh, and maybe you had a really difficult birth, and, and some, you know, some of those stories are interesting. Uh, but it's the life that Jesus came to give. It's the, it's the birth that brings us into life, and that is the exciting part about living in God's kingdom. It's, it's that, that kingdom life that he's bringing us into. I would like to look tonight at Jesus as king. Um, I don't know. Most times I think when we, when we ask someone or when we think about why did Jesus come, we think about, what do we think about? Why did Jesus come? Save us from our sins. Tomorrow night we're going to ask, what does that mean? Uh-huh. How, did he, how does that happen? What did Jesus come for? What is, who is Jesus? Give us life. Yeah, there we go. To bring us new birth and to give us life. Uh-huh. I, you know, I think often we think he, he came, he's our savior, right? He came to, to uh, save us so that we can have our sins forgiven. There's, that's definitely true, he did. I mean, that was part of the, uh, he came to bring us life, like we said. I, I'd like to, to uh, consider tonight um, Jesus as king. Uh, I hardly know where to start and where to stop. I'll probably talk too long, but I'll have to cut it off when the bell goes. I'm going to start with a story from John 12. If you have your Bible, you can turn to John 12. Um, verses 1 to 9. <clears throat> It's uh, the story of Jesus just before the Passover. And it was just a few days before the crucifixion. And so I, I think the setting or the timing of this event is quite interesting. Chapter 12, it says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where, Je- where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Mary served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now, it goes on to tell the story of Judas saying, why in the world did you do this? This was a waste of 300 pence. Now, does somebody know how much 300 pence is? It's a year's wages. That's a lot of money. How much money do you make in a year? We'd all want to know, right? Um, but that's a lot of money. And, and here she took this expensive ointment and she anointed Jesus' feet and the, the aroma was, was all through the house. Now, just a few days after this, we have Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now think about the aroma. Now, I've done a little study on this, and the the aroma that Jesus had at that time was probably similar to the aroma that only kings uh, could afford in that time period. So no no common person could afford spending a year's wages on on, uh, some ointment to make him smell good, right? But here Jesus... Um, had this aroma that only a king 
would be, would be able to afford. And not long after this, Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey. And I, I want you to picture this. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem on a donkey, and the Jews already had this thought that, that their king or their deliverer is going to come on a donkey. And he's riding into Jerusalem, and he smells like a king. And they had heard all of the stories about what he was doing. And it was around the Passover time, and they were, they were looking for deliverance. I mean, the Jews were, were longing for deliverance. Uh, we talked last night about Herod and some of his sons and how, how ruthless they were. Um, and they were, they were longing for deliverance. And here comes Jesus. He's the one that could raise the dead. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead not long ago. And now he's dining with Lazarus. And the chief priests in this, in this passage are so um, worried about this that they think they should put Lazarus to death again. <laughs> you know, you, this, is, this is interesting. I mean, here this guy just got raised from the dead. They want to put him to, to, to death again. I guess they didn't think that would ha- that he, Jesus could raise him again. I don't know, but <clears throat> but this is a really big deal. There's a lot going on here. If Jesus can raise the dead, he can surely overthrow the Romans, right? I mean, here is our king. Here is our chance. This is the time. And uh, the people were throwing down the palm branches and and their clothes in on the road, and they were saying Hosanna. They were saying, "Save now." Now's the time. Jesus, this is the time. This is our king. We want redemption. We want to be freed from this Roman oppression. They really, I think they really thought at that point that Jesus was going to deliver them. And we see how things really went downhill from there and and, uh, Jesus was crucified just a few days later. I'd like to look at so, so Jesus is king. Do we think of Jesus as king? Do we think of him as our king? Um, the one that we bring our lives under, we bring our lives in submission to him and surrender to him. We follow his laws. We follow the laws of his kingdom. Isaiah 9. I want to look at that passage as well. This is a prophecy, and I think we would all agree that this is a prophecy about Jesus. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now listen to this. What does it say about this child? The government shall be upon his shoulder. What kind of child has the government on his shoulder? This is so unique. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Shalom. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Now what kind of child is this? What kind of... um, The government shall be upon his shoulder. And how long is he going to reign? It says, the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. 
This is, an, this is a, a kind of king that we've never seen before. Uh, he's come to reign and he's going to reign forever and he's going to reign over a kingdom of peace. Uh, and the word there is shalom, which we talked, uh, did we talk yet about, we'll talk about this tomorrow night a little more. But shalom basically means welfare, peace, completeness in number, safety, soundness, health, prosperity, quiet, tranquility, contentment. This is what Jesus came to bring. Jesus came to bring shalom. Jesus came to bring wholeness. I think the the Jewish concept of shalom is much, much more, uh, much deeper, much more all-encompassing than our word that we call peace. You know, when somebody has peace, uh, they they might have, their their world can be a mess, but inside they feel good, or they they say they have peace. Well, the, the Jewish concept of shalom is, is different. It's, it's much more of a, 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 well, just like here, I think this explains it. More of a, the kingdom come. I mean, God's reign has come. This is, Jesus is king, and he is the prince of peace, and he comes to bring this peace to us and to the world. It's a new, a new kind of rule. It's a, a, a rule that is, that brings wholeness, that brings completeness. This is a prophecy of Jesus. This is what Jesus, this is what Isaiah said Jesus is going to do. He's going to come and bring shalom. He's going to be a ruler that rules forever and ever. And he's going to be uh, the king of a kingdom where there's peace. Interestingly, I've lived in the Middle East and lived in Israel for a while. And one of their expressions, their greetings is, Ma shlomcha. Or mashlomech. I think if you're a woman, it's mashlomech. If it's if you're a man, it's mashlomcha. Uh, and basically, the the, the question, what, what what you're saying, it's a greeting. It's like saying, "How are you?" But if you translate it more literally, it's, "How is your shalom? How is your peace? How is your wholeness? How 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 whole are you? How complete are you?" <laughs> and I just think that's kind of neat. Uh, they don't think of it that way. They're just saying hi. But. Uh, um, it, it, there's, there's, shalom is it's wholeness, it's completeness. And I think it's connected to the word holy. Uh, we, sometimes we think holiness is something that's way, way far, far off. We talked about holiness on Sunday. But I think if, to think of it more in terms of wholeness, what Jesus came to bring wholeness and to make us holy people. Okay, so the next scripture I'd like to look at is Matthew chapter 1. I don't know if you've ever wondered why... Matthew starts with a whole list of names, um, maybe like the, a little bit like the Fisher book. Uh, and you wonder, what is the significance of all of these names? Why, why start with uh, all these people? And I, I want to remember again that, G, that Matthew was writing to the Jewish people. And he, had, he did this intentionally, I think. Uh, and I, I think what he was trying to do is, is show them that Jesus is the true king in the line of David. Um, he starts out with Jesus Christ, the son of David. There's a big gap there between the two. But he clearly connects Jesus to David, King David. And on back to Abraham. And it goes on and on. And there's some really interesting stories here, actually. If you look, especially at the women uh, that are mentioned in this passage, uh, you see some incredible stories. And I think it's, I think it's very interesting that Matthew included some of these women who were certainly not role models to follow. Uh, at least we wouldn't hold them up as very good role models. Uh, 
Let's see, what, what are, who are some of them here? Jesse begat David the king. David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. You remember that story about uh, David who took uh, another man's wife. And uh, from, that, from that relationship, Solomon came. There's also Tamar who was a harlot. Pharez begat Ezram. There's, one, there's another one here. I can't pick it out right now. But these are really ugly stories. And I just think it's interesting that, that they found their name in Jesus' lineage. I think there's significance there. I think it shows that Jesus came to bring shalom. Jesus came to bring wholeness. He came to make dirty people clean. He came to make unwhole people whole. He came to, to uh, take those whose lives have been shattered and make them whole again. He didn't just come to get people to pray a sinner's prayer. And now we say they're going to heaven because now they prayed the sinner's prayer. He came to bring wholeness. He came as prince of peace, uh, prince of shalom. I, I love this passage. I think it tells a story of Jesus as king. And this king is a king of peace, of shalom, of wholeness. And that's what Jesus came to do. Um, So we see son of David there, we see son of Abraham, and the promise to Abraham was that in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed, and I think we, we would say that that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ and continues to be fulfilled because all the families of the earth can still, are, are being blessed today because of what Jesus has done. Okay, there's more that we could look at, but Jesus, I, I wanted to, to, to bring that in because G, I, I want to lift Jesus up as king. I want, I want us to think of Jesus as the king of this kingdom. Last night we said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is touchable, it is feelable, it is, it's close. It's something that we can experience. It's among us, it's here. And Jesus is the king. And not only is the king, uh, he has to reign, right? So Jesus uh, is king, but he also has to be in control or he has to, he has to reign. And I want to turn us to Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles there again, um, you know, we all know this actually. You don't even have to turn your Bibles there. So, but uh, <clears throat> Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, or he's teaching us how to pray. There, this, one, this, was, uh, this is actually in the <clears throat> Sermon on the Mount. I think one of the others, the other Gospels, it's where the, the disciples came to him and said, Teach us to pray, and he teaches them this prayer. <clears throat> but I, I just want to point out a few things here. He says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy, recognizing God as holy. Uh, and then he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I, I wonder if someone who, if someone would ask us uh, how to pray, what would we teach them? How would we teach them to pray? What are the prayers that we teach people? Jesus seemed to think this was a pretty important prayer to pray. And he says, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Now, I've been saying this uh, over and over. We often think that Jesus came to get us to heaven, right? He came to save us so that we can die and go be with him when we, when we die. Uh, or, um, but here, Jesus is saying that we should be praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, now think about that. On earth as it is in heaven. You know, often, I, you hear this sometimes, we just wish we could die and go to heaven. 
and then everything would be right. But Jesus is saying we should be seeking for, for heaven to come down. We should be seeking for, for what's up there to come down here. What, to, to make it real. To your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus doesn't just want to do something in our hearts to make us a different kind of person on the inside. He wants to reign in everything. He wants his will to be done on earth, just like it is in heaven. Is that possible? <laughs> can, can we actually experience this? Jesus says that we should be praying this. That your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm sure it will be in the thousand year reign. Um, but I, I think he's calling us to do this now. Uh, and, and we're not going to do it perfectly, okay? I'm not saying we have to think we're going to, you know, we're going to replicate heaven perfectly. But that's what we should be seeking for, according to this. Jesus is, came to, to bring shalom, to bring peace, to bring transformation. Uh, Jesus reigns. He's not only a king, he reigns. Uh, on, and he wants to reign in our lives. And any, I think everywhere that we give Jesus more and more authority in our lives, uh, we see more of that kingdom coming. We see his reign expanding. And every day when we, uh, when we treat our wives well, when we, maybe when we wash the dishes <laughs> because of love, uh, maybe when we, uh, men wash the dishes, women too, I guess, uh, when, when we're caring for the children, when, when we're uh, making things beautiful, when, when we're relating together in the way that God intended, uh, every time that we give Jesus a little more space, that kingdom is growing. and His reign is getting greater and greater and greater. I don't know, if you, I don't know about you, but I just think this is so exciting. Because this, this gives us... And of course there's something better coming. I mean, we're not at the end. We, we can't get it perfectly. We're, we're expecting much better things to come. Uh, but if we can be seeking for that reign to come, in our lives and in the people around us. So I would like to say, Jesus didn't come to save you uh, in the sense that you can just feel good. He came to actually save you, to save us, to make us a new kind of people. Uh, some, so I've already said that Jesus didn't come as much to get you to heaven as to get heaven into you. He didn't come so much to get us into heaven as to get heaven into us. And I'm sure I think he came for both maybe. But, but may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I'm going to end with one or two stories if I can get them both in. I'm going to tell you first of all about Jacinta. Uh, some of you probably know her. She was from Lancaster City. Her father was uh, a drug dealer, carried a gun a lot. His, her mother was, was caught for drugs and she was put in prison. And she used to say how she, she used to spend time with Martha Stewart in prison <laughs> when Martha Stewart was in prison, interestingly. But anyway, years ago, we were cleaning up a street in Lancaster. I, I was, I don't know, this is many years ago. Uh, we were, there was some people, Irvin Barkman actually got it together, and we're just cleaning some streets, some alleyways, pulling weeds and doing whatever. And we met this girl, this one girl, and, uh, and some of her family, and, and uh, 
they were really friendly, and we started talking. We invited, I invited them to Tuesday church, and these girls started coming. We went and asked the mother, mother and father. I think we asked the mother first, and she's like, I don't care. Take all of them. She, didn't, uh, she just wanted them out of the house. And so th- these, these girls started coming to Tuesday church quite a bit and uh, got involved in, in children's choir. Eventually, the family was in a really bad situation, and the state got involved and took the children but since we had been involved with the families, since we had been connected, the state actually gave us the option to take the children. They said, we can have as many as we want um, if we have homes for them. And they would keep them out of the foster system that way. And so Jacinta came and lived with my sisters, Bill and Sarah Lynn, and lived with them for about two years. She was in her teens, probably. She was, I'm guessing, 12, 13, 14. Uh, and, you know, just think about this. She came from a very dysfunctional home. And she was, her heart was open to the Lord. It really was. She wanted to follow Christ. And she came into this home and, and saw what it means to follow Jesus. What it looks like. What, uh, what shalom could look like. At least part, part, part ways. <laughs> like I said, we're, we're still on the journey. Um, and it was a difficult time. I mean, sometimes she rebelled, and sometimes it was difficult. It was really messy sometimes, really messy. Uh, one of the guys from church kind of fell in love with her, and she was only like 13 or 14, and it was just a mess for a while. Uh, and, and, and yet, today she's married. Um, she has a wonderful husband, and they just had a, a, their first child. And she loves the Lord. Now, she's not a Mennonite, like, uh, you know, but God has done some real work in her life. And she points back to her time living at Bill and Sarah Lynn. She says, that's, how I learned. that's where I learned how to live. That's where I learned how to keep house. That's where I learned what it looks like. Um, and I, my, I just, my hats are off to Bill and Sarah Lynn for what they did there and how they impacted her life. The, I wish I could tell you more. They, they talk about the, when he first came to her family, uh, for Thanksgiving. He said, it's my favorite holiday. Don't mess it up. And uh, a fight broke out, and he tried to intervene. The fight broke out at, at the family gathering, and he tried to intervene and got bit, and, and it became a, a real fiasco. Uh, but he's just a really good, godly man. And there's some things that she believes that I, you know, are, are hard for me to swallow and all of that. But I see shalom has come to her life. There's been a transformation that has come to her life because someone believed that Jesus brings that and lived their life as though that was the case and impacted her. Now let me tell you another story. This is actually a, a story from uh, Tony Campolo in his book, Let Me Tell You a Story. He says this, a friend, so, so that I think Jacinta's story is one of transformation of wholeness, of Jesus bringing wholeness. This is also a, a Christian story, but I want to see if, how old this one is, I guess. Uh, he tells the story. He says, a friend of mine told me about being at a dinner from, with a veteran of World War II. As they talked, the man related a story of what it was like during the famous Battle of Bulge, a surprise attack on the Allied forces in World War II. World War II. It ended in the Germans losing 125,000 men and never being able to recover. He described how one foggy, rainy morning, his commanding officer commanded his unit to go out and shoot any of the enemy that were lying around wounded. Of course, this did not fit in with the Geneva Convention, but given the confusion and disarray of a battle in which there were no clearly drawn lines, 
the officer believed that it, it had to be done. In, his battle, in this battle, the rules had been abandoned and prisoners were not to be taken. The veteran then told about coming upon a German soldier sitting on the ground with his back against the tree. He wasn't wounded. He was just too tired to go on. He was totally dissipated. There was nothing left in the way of willpower. He was too listless and tired to resist anything or anyone. The man telling the story said, as I aimed my gun at him, he asked me to wait a, mo a moment. Speaking in English, he told me he wanted a chance to pray before he died. I immediately sat down with him as I realized that he was a Christian brother. We talked about our families. I showed him pictures of my children. He showed me photographs of his, of his family. We read some scripture together. It was wonderful. My friend asked, well, what did you do? When the man didn't answer, my friend kept pressing. What did you do? What did you do? The man said. I stood up, aimed the gun at him, and said, you're a Christian, and I'm a Christian. I'll see you in heaven. And I shot him. There really are two different Gospels that we get to, that are influencing us. And I just want to celebrate the Gospel of Jesus and his kingdom and, and inspire us to, to let him reign in our lives in every way possible. Thank you for your time.